Mark the blameless and behold the upright, for there's a future for a man of peace, but transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Those are verses 37 to 40 of Psalm 37, verses 19 to 42, of which are the psalm appointed for today, Thursday, October the 20th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We are uh, continuing our look at the book of Ecclesiasticus, uh, chapter 10, the first 18 verses there in the gospel according to Luke. We are in chapter 5, verses tw- or 10, sorry, verses 25 to 37, and then in the book of the Revelation, chapter 9, verses 1 to 12. So again, the book, book of Ecclesiasticus is um, a collection of Proverbs. A wise magistrate educates his people, and the rule of an intelligent person is well-ordered. As the people's judge is, so are his officials. As the ruler of the city is, so are all its inhabitants. And and there's a huge truth in that, right? I mean, what we allow, what we permit, who we are, tends to be who people under us become as well. And so I I can remember hearing um, Chuck Murphy say on multiple occasions, who you are tends to be who you attract. And so if you're not a person of discipline, if you're not a person who... um, who, who maintains law and order, then you're going to tend to attract people who, who, who tend to be that way as well. And so that, that there's a huge truth in that, um, that, that cities tend to take on the personalities at some levels of their rulers. Countries tend to take on those personalities a little less because the, there, there's more uh, land, let's say, <laughs> let's say. So, I mean, you know, for instance, in, in Asheville, um, and other places as well, um, we, we got really soft on certain kinds of things. We, we stopped enforcing certain kinds of rules and regulations, uh, allowed homeless to camp pretty much anywhere they wanted to go. And this is the same is true in so many cities now. What, what we allow, we get more of. And so we, we ended up having a problem that had to be dealt with in Asheville with the homeless situation and the, the encampments. And the same is in Seattle and um, San Francisco and Los Angeles and places like that. All those places now are having to deal with something that they decided to allow for one reason or another. But now the problem that it's created is so far out of control that it has to be dealt with. An undisciplined king ruins his people. And if you want to know that, look at Israelite history. I mean, it's a mess because of the kings. But a city becomes fit to live through the understanding of its rulers. The government of the earth is in the hands of the Lord. And over it, he will raise up the right leader for the right time. I was just listening to a podcast this morning, in fact, by a guy named Neil Oliver, who is a British archaeologist. And, and he was talking about the, it's about the legend of King Arthur. And the belief that's persisted throughout England is, is that Arthur, is, he's dead, but he's lying in state, prepared to come back in the, in the time of Britain's greatest need. And, and people saw that in Winston Churchill, for instance, during World War II, when, when it was determined that he was the man for the moment. And, and we've seen that over and over again in our history. Lincoln, Washington, all those guys. <clears throat> um, human success is in the hand of the Lord, and it is he who confers honor upon the lawgiver. This is the good thing to know, and, it, and it's what Paul talks about. And the way we're supposed to be submitted to earthly rulers is, is that, that the Lord's responsible for them. He can, he can raise them up and take them down. Came a controversy for Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who had spoken against the plague, uh, not the plague, the um, 
the plot to kill Adolf Hitler, for instance, and then he joined that plot and ended up in prison for it. But but he reckoned that that God had called him for that hour and for that moment. Do not get angry with your neighbor for every injury, and don't resort to acts of insolence. You, you know, we're, you got to let some things go. <laughs> Arrogance is hateful to the Lord and to mortals. I mean, nobody likes arrogance. And injustice is outrageous to both. Sovereignty passes from nation to nation on account of injustice and insolence and wealth. That's an interesting phenomenon. That's one of the most important statements I think we could consider in our time as Americans, particularly if you're an American listening to this, then then we can see that sovereignty passes from nation to nation on account of injustice and insolence and wealth. And we need to take that to heart because there's certainly injustice in our world, but there's also horrific insolence. And because we've been such a wealthy country, we, we've devolved into um, people who, who will tolerate pretty much anything. And, and we, the wealth takes us away from the Lord and takes us away from any semblance of um, righteousness, in our laws and in the practice, because, well, we think our arm got us the wealth. It goes back to Deuteronomy 8. It's always a snare for God's people, prosperity is, which is odd because the prosperity gospel has such a, a resounding um, influence on our society that, that we fail to heed all the warnings and instead pursue the very thing that we're warned against. How can dust and ashes be proud? I mean, seriously, you, you know who you are, right? To, from dust you were taken to dust you shall return. Even in life, the human body decays. A long illness baffles the physician. The king of today will die tomorrow. For one is dead, he inherits maggots and vermin and worms. I mean, there's a truth in that, but you just don't often speak it. Now, this is a, this is a really important statement right here. The beginning of human pride is to forsake the Lord. The heart has withdrawn from its maker. And, and if you read um, Thus Spake Zarathustra by Friedrich Nietzsche, what you'll see is, is this is exactly right, is, is that, that prior to uh, this forsaking of the Lord, then, then the will is submitted and bears many burdens. And then finally it throws off those burdens, and the final burden to be thrown off is, is any restraint or any authority greater than you. And then you throw off that restraint by saying, I will— to the one who restrains, I'll do what I want to do, and then becomes the experimentation phase, which he kind of treats like a playful thing, that I'll try this on for a while, and if it doesn't fit and it doesn't work, and you know, pragmatism is ultimately the, the decider here, then I'll let it go. Well, you can do a lot of harm in the meantime, but the beginning of human pride is to forsake its maker, to forget that. So the, if, if the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, the beginning of human pride is the forsaking of the Lord. The heart has withdrawn from its maker. From the beginning of pride is sin, and the one who clings to it pours out abominations. Therefore, the Lord, because that's the thing, is, is if you're going to throw off that restraint, then the chances are pretty good. The reason you want to do that is not because, well, you've outgrown it or whatever, or you know better. No, it's because that that restraint is saying no to something you don't want to be told no to. So, therefore, the Lord brings upon them unheard of calamities and destroys them completely. You know, yeah, you start down that road, it's not going to end well. 
The Lord overthrows the thrones of rulers and enthrones the lowly in their places. The Lord plucks up the roots of the nation and plants the humble in their place. The Lord lays waste the lands of the nations and destroys them to the foundations of the earth. He removes some of them and destroys them and erases the memory of them from the earth. And I mean, you know, if you read the Old Testament and you start reading about the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Amorites and the Havites and all those people, you can say, yeah, well, that's true. But the Jews have persisted because they are God's people. They persisted no matter what persecution has come against them. Pride was not created for human beings or violent anger for those born of women. So the, these are unnatural things is the argument of the writer here. In the gospel lesson today, what we're going to get is a man who is who is proud, and we know that he's proud because he wants to justify himself. And what that means is that that he thinks he is already justified. He he wants everybody to know that he's justified in his questions here. And and so he a, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, "Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life?" He said to him, "He Jesus said to him, what's written in the law? How do you read it?" So you know, give me your opinion first. Tell me what your understanding of all this is. And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. Well, it seems easy, but here the issue always in, in rabbinic Judaism is I've got to determine terms, right? I mean, the, the guy comes and says, but desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So essentially, one of the things that he is saying without saying anything at all about it is is that I think I got the first part about loving God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind under control. I think I've done that, and I'm doing that. So all I need now is to know who my neighbor is, because there's a commandment to love my neighbor. So who is my neighbor? And, and he does it, as I've said a thousand times, in order to limit the class of people that he has to love and extend love to. And why would he want to do that? Well, he would want to do it because he knows that that love calls for something from him. It calls him to sacrifice of himself. It calls him to extend himself on behalf of another. He knows it's not a heart feeling that's at stake here. There's more to it than that. When he asked that question, and, and so his thought was— in seeking to justify himself, was to say, I'm already doing that too, as long as I define my neighbor the right way. <clears throat> Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, Jesus doesn't tell us anything about this man. He doesn't tell us whether he's a Jew, a Gentile, what? No, we don't know anything at all about him. It's just a man. Now, a lot of people would say, well, okay, because he's going from Jerusalem, then he probably is a Jew at that time when Jesus tells this story. But Jesus doesn't give us that detail. And, and it's an immaterial detail in so many ways, unless you want to make the hero of the story an even greater hero. Um, but I, I don't think there's a necessity for that. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. And I've said this, I said it in a sermon not too terribly long ago, that, that the reality is is that, that these guys have services in the temple. They're probably going up to, the, to Jerusalem when they pass him. And so they, they see him um, and, and, on the, and pass by on the other side. And so why would that be? Well, they have important duties in the temple, right? Yeah, well, except if you knew this, you might feel differently about it. 
there were plenty of priests and Levites. In fact, there was a superabundance of priests and Levites. Zechariah, John the Baptist's uh, father, is in the holy place. Well, that's most likely the only time he ever will be in the holy place, because once you've done that, because there's so many priests and they choose by lot who gets which job, it's, it's, you're disqualified from serving in the holy place again so that other people can get a chance. Um, and so these guys have important duties to do, and it could be that this is the year that they get called up to the major leagues and get to do big boy stuff. So they're passing by because contact with a dead body is strictly forbidden. Here we're told this man's half dead. They don't know if they're going to get over there and he's going to die. They don't know if he's got blood on him. They don't know if he's already dead. So they avoid this because of their own ambition. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now, the Samaritans were absolutely hated by the Jews. The, the uh, You know, Jesus passes through there, and, and it's a remarkable thing that he passes through Samaria in uh, John 4, but he goes there specifically, it seems, for that single—for the woman that he meets at the well. Well, most of the time, Samaritans didn't want Jews passing through their territory. The Jews had, had destroyed their temple, the one that they believed was the only one God ever ordained. And, and so the story is told that in, the, in and around the time of Jesus, so this would have been, if, if this is true, it would have been current in the people's minds. This is from Josephus. So it, it, the story is that, that um, the Samaritans threw human bones into the temple in Jerusalem in order to defile that temple because they believed that it was a place of apostasy. They believed that it was a place where God never ordained, and this is all wrong, that worship would happen there. So that's the kind of enmity. I mean, it was, it was okay at some level for, for the um, Samaritans to, to beat and rob um, Jews as they passed through their territory in order to prevent them going up and, and doing this false worship. So this Samaritan comes, and he binds up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He's doing this out of his own pocket. This is his own provision that he's, that he's using up here to care for this other man. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, and a denarii represented a day's wages at that time. Uh, gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the, uh, the one who showed him mercy. I mean, he's not even going to say it, right? He's not going to say, well, that Samaritan is the one who did it. No, 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 he, he's not going to say that out loud. He's not going to be the hero. He's just the one who, did him, who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So what are the implications of that? And the implications are that the, 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 the neighbor really refers to anybody who needs something that you're able to provide. <clears throat> so that that's Jesus's admonition here is to say it, the, the purpose isn't to define or or um, limit the class of people who's called neighbor. Huh? That burden of being a neighbor falls on you. Whenever there's somebody who needs you, you are to be a neighbor, no matter who that person is. And and then in the epistle, well, remember, so we got four uh, plagues yesterday, or four disasters, let's say, um, judgments called down, and they all came down from heaven. And so now the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. So this, this um, angel 
blows the trumpet, and a star falls from heaven, and then he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. And so there's a belief that angels were represented by stars. And so um, that now that's what you see is another angel who's given a key to the shaft of the bottomless pit where Satan and his minions have been held until the end of this. He, the angel, opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft arose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke of the shaft. And so you get this this foul-smelling stuff coming up from the earth, from the bowels of the earth, as opposed to the four first plagues which came down from heaven. Now this comes up from the belly of the earth, and, and it's enough smoke, and, and it's this, you can just imagine this thing that it, that it covers the entire atmosphere in such a way that the sun and the air were darkened. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions on the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any great plant or any tree, which is exactly what you would think locusts would do. But only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And so God has sealed some people, and they're protected against this plague of locusts that come at this point. And the locusts are not going to do things that normal locusts would do, which would be to destroy green plants, trees, grass, all that. Nope. These are a special kind of locust, and we're going to see just exactly how special they are in a second. But they were there, there to come and torment people individuals. God's already brought judgment down on the earth, and people suffer because of God's judgment, but this is directed at them. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them, and their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. In those days, people will seek death and not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. So this is going to be this tremendous agony that's not going to go away. You can't defeat it by dying. That won't happen. No, you want to die, but you won't. It, it's appear, in appearance, the, this, is, this is the strange thing. This is how strange these locusts are. They, they were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair like women's hair and their teeth like lion's teeth. I mean, these ferocious, frightening animals, and they look human. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. And people have, have said, oh, okay, this is, a, a, this is a helicopter or whatever. And so they've, they've come up with these ideas about what these things are. But it's not possible to come up with a vision that accounts for all of the things that are described here in the Revelation. You know, the, the appearance, also what they do, how they harm people and all that. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. So that that doesn't sound like a helicopter to me, <laughs> but I don't know what it is. I mean, it's it's something, it's a vision that John sees that he can't account for. It doesn't look like anything he's ever seen before, and so he's just giving the description that that of what he sees for us. And so what does it mean that the power to hurt people for five months is in their tails? Does that mean that they, that if, a, if it stings you, then it's going to hurt for five months, or does it mean that they have five months to wreak havoc on the earth? Well, we just don't know. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon, which means the destroyer. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes, the sixth and the seventh angels, trumpet judgments, are about are still to come. 
it, it's the only thing we can do in this life is to recognize the things that uh, the, the writer of Ecclesiasticus tells us, which is to say that all power comes from God, all authority comes from God. How you wield that power and authority doesn't. You know, in some cases, God raised up wicked, evil kings to do his purpose against Israel, and then they always overstep their bounds then, and then they have to be brought down. They fail to recognize him and thought that power resided in themselves, and then they use the power for wickedness, not for good. And then they have to be removed and taken down. And so here we see that same thing. Will human beings repent? Will we recognize God as creator? Because human pride, as it says, the beginning of human pride is to forsake the Lord. And so what we've seen over the last hundred plus years is a complete denial of God as creator. And if you, if you deny him as creator, then, then what place does he have? Uh, what does Jesus mean if God's not all that? So it, it becomes a difficult thing to do. Once we deny certain tenets of the faith, certain essential things, then we begin to see things in a different way, and we begin to react towards the world and other people in different ways. And, and then if we've denied God, then how do we repent of sin? If we've denied God has any relevance as far as human conduct is concerned, then, then what does it mean even to repent? It's important for us to maintain our evangelical attitude toward the world, in, or in, in other words, that we continue to maintain him even when we're persecuted, even when we're ridiculed. We need to continue to maintain that truth in order that the world can say, well, I, I never heard this. I didn't, I didn't know these things. Um, no, ultimately, no one is innocent. That's exactly Paul's argument in the first like six chapters of Romans. And, and so what do we do? How do we how do we live our lives then? Jesus says, just go and, and, and do those two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, and, and go and do these things. And if you go and do those things, and you tend to your knitting, and you keep those things primary in your life, you're going to be okay, because you're submitted to God and his commandments regarding the way to live.